KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One. You sit back and you're like, wow, this was this has been a really fun ride. And I've been so far removed for it for so long for something like the Big Five Hall of Fame to come back. And even the Villanova Hall of Fame, it kind of brought back those memories. And it's just like, it's very, I don't know, it almost sometimes makes me want to like tear up a little bit. And our guest this week is former Villanova University basketball star Katie Davis Tantino. She just got chosen to be inducted into the Big Five Hall of Fame. She was a star for the Wildcats. And Katie, thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you for having me. So first of all, Big Five Hall of Fame. I know you're already in the Villanova Hall of Fame. Uh, How's that hit with you? What does that mean for you? It's just so special. I mean, you look at the list of people on there. I was going through that right before we got on the the call and I was just like, wow, this is like an elite group of people. And for my name to be up there with them is just kind of surreal in a way. I just, but also, you know, my parents are from Delco. My mom grew up in Prospect Park and my dad grew up in Essington. So, you know, even though I'm a Maryland girl, I always knew the significance of the big five. So it just kind of makes it, you know, it's, it just hits it gets the heart, you know, touches the heart. It's like, wow, this is kind of a big deal. You know, this is cool. Was it something you knew you were in the mix for or did it completely catch you flat footed? It completely caught me off guard. I had no idea. Um, it was actually really cool. Mark Jackson just texted me and he was like, hey, are you available for a call in a few minutes? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And then like, you know, I'm sitting there waiting. And then a few minutes later, it's a FaceTime. And I'm like in a hoodie. I was eating a hoagie. I'm like shoving everything out of the way. <laughs> like, oh gosh, okay, FaceTime. And then when I answered, he was there with the whole women's team in the locker room and the coaches. And, you know, he just said his little spiel he told me. And I was just totally, totally caught off guard. At first, I, Mimi was in the background, Mimi Riley. She was like, oh, we're here to buy Girl Scout cookies because <laughs> my girls are selling cookies. So I'm like, oh, this will be a good order. Um, but yeah, no, I was totally surprised. It was um, pretty exciting. Does it feel like it'll be 20 years and as someone who has all has already had a lot of those moments of, oh, my God, I can't believe I've been doing this for 20. Does it feel like 20 years ago when you graduated? It feels like it can feel like a lifetime ago and they could also feel like it was a second ago at the same time. No, it feels sometimes I sit here and I'm like, it was so long ago. Did it actually happen? <laughs> like, did I actually play basketball back there back then? Um but it's been fun recently. I feel like it's been a lot more memories have been coming up because my, I have three kids, Brooke, Emily, and Danny, and I've been taking my older two girls who are nine and seven to the games this season. So it's kind of like come full circle when you go there, it's like, oh yeah, this, I remember this. I remember this feeling, you know? So yeah, I can feel, I can feel both ways. Do they appreciate that mom used to be a baller or have they not put those things together yet? They do. They get it. They, um, cause they were, they did come to the Villanova hall of fame and they were pr- very excited about that. And, um, you know, like they see like the pictures on the wall at the, in the gym at the fin and, you know, they just like, wow, that's kind of cool. But honestly, they're more obsessed with Maddie Seagrest than, than anything else in the world. So they went to the Villanova camp this year and Maddie was their coach for the younger kids. And now, you know, they, they just think that Maddie's their best friend and they just love her so much. So yeah, they, um, they're kind of over me. They, they love the girls now. <laughs> but it is interesting. Women's basketball in those 20 years 
it's been a moonshot. I mean, as far as the the accessibility to watch it, the level of play, the place it has now kind of in the social fabric of things, like as someone who's been so intimate with the sport, how cool has it been to see what's happened? It's so great. You know, you go to the games now and the stands are full. And it's, you know, I, I remember taking a second at one of the last games and you look around and you have little girls basketball teams, like, like hundreds of them. And then you have like little boys basketball teams there too, like just cheering on the, cheering on the girls. And it's just like, wow, this is really cool. People are really into this now. And, um, you know, I love seeing the support on social media that they get, they got a lot of recognition that way. And, um, it's just so fun to watch and it just makes it, you know, me really happy for these girls that they get to enjoy all of this and they deserve it. You know, they're working hard out there. So it's, it's really cool. Your game, you were so good shooting a three. I think you were around 40% for your career. Do you think you'd have even more success playing the game today? Because it is so, I don't mean at our age and stuff like that, but I mean, if, if your complete exact same skill set and ability level was transformed to the game in 2023, how do you think you'd, you'd fit in? Uh, you know, I think these girls are really good and they have, I feel like their game is so much different than my game. Yeah, I, like, I could shoot three. That's what I did. They would, we would run plays, but these girls are so much more athletic and technical, I guess, you know, the moves that they make. I don't think I was making those moves. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, if they could get me open and I could just stand in the corner and shoot a three, I think I'd be fine. <laughs> yeah, no, they're just really good. You know, I love it. And I love, they put in so much work. And it just, it shows. So growing up, you mentioned growing up in Maryland, but you played multiple sports, like all the way through high school. You were like a three, four sport person, correct? Yes. Yeah. I played softball and volleyball as well. Were they all the most important thing in the world during their season or was basketball always a little bit above everything? Um, I did love playing all of them. And, you know, we I was pretty successful in those other sports too, but I played basketball year round. So I would continue to play basketball even when I was playing those other sports. So I'd go right from volleyball or softball right to AAU practice or summer league or something like that. So basketball kind of always had the number one place in my heart, I would say. But I did play volleyball for one year at Villanova. I walked on to the team. I didn't play very much, but it was fun because I just missed it. I just missed playing all three sports. I, I loved having the ability to play all that. I feel like it's different now. I feel like people are more one sport focused. So I loved that I was able to do that. But basketball always kind of was number one. Was the walking on for that year, was it an eye opener as far as, wow, this is a different level than maybe I expected? Because I would imagine with basketball, it was maybe a smoother transition when then trying to walk on to something at that level yes it was it was um you know we were very successful in high school with our volleyball team and um i was like oh I, let's see how i can do here hanging out and the girls were great i mean they were so much taller than me so much better than me so um i did have a lot of fun but it was difficult to manage two sports way easier i shouldn't say easier the transition from high school to college for basketball was also very challenging but for volleyball it was actually kind of funny because that year that I went that I missed I feel like all the rules changed <laughs> so when I got to Villanova and walked on you know we used to play to like 15 and now they're playing to like 25 and like I, wa I, wa I felt like it was a whole nother world that I walked into so but it was a good time the girls were great the coaches were nice so so basketball you mentioned you played that year round was there a focus early on or a recognition that 
you were good at it and it might be able to take you further than most? Or was it just you just love to play basketball and whatever opportunities and coaches started saying, hey, you should try this and that door opened and that led to another door, et cetera? Basically, I just really loved playing basketball. So it wasn't that I thought that was going to take me the farthest. I just really enjoyed playing and I wanted to play wherever I could. I mean, I was out back playing with my brothers, you know, I have two, two brothers and the neighborhood boys, you know, all the time. I just loved playing basketball and it was easy. It was easily accessible. So I would just follow it wherever it took me when it took to summer leagues, to AAU. There wasn't a lot of AAU teams around me, so I had to come up here for them. So it was difficult. It was difficult to fit in. It wasn't that it was just this easy thing. My parents dedicated a lot of time and energy into getting me to play, but it was just kind of what what I wanted to do. So they helped me out with it. Was there a moment of recognition when you realized you were good? I think kids, you play, but even at a younger age, you know, your teens or something, there has to be kind of a sort of a light to go off that I'm able to do things or maybe make shots that other kids can't do as consistently and coaches seem to gravitate right to me when they need something done or need a big basket. Like, do you remember the, when you started to realize that you were a little bit above the group? Um, I would say when I was little, because I played on, you know, CYO teams and I would play with my older brother's team or like on the, in the boys league. So I would say when I was little, I was like, all right, I'm, they're picking me to be on their team for a reason. So I can hang and they, you know, I'm being put out there in, in situations where if I wasn't good, I probably wouldn't be out here. <laughs> so I would say when I was little, I was just like, all right, I feel like I'm pretty good at this. So I'm going to stick with it. How did your game, were you always perimeter focused growing up and in high school and everything, or did your game evolve? My game evolved. I don't think that, I don't, I mean, I don't, again, my memory is very poor, but I remember in high school, I was one of the bigger people. So I was a post player. So I would be underneath. So most of my baskets were twos. I don't think I took maybe 23s in, in high school. That could be a total lie. I could have just made that up, but I don't, I did not take very many until I got to Villanova and Harry was like, you're a three point shooter. So we're going to work on your shooting game. So you went to Northeast high school in Cecil County, Maryland. You're having success when it comes to looking at college basketball. Was it always Villanova were there other schools? Is there a plausible alternate reality where you don't become a wildcat and you go somewhere else? Totally. Yeah. No, Villanova actually didn't even come into the picture until the very end. And it was, I mean, I had my eye on them, but they didn't have their eye on me. And uh, it wasn't until they came to watch Trish play because we played on the same AAU team, Trish Jaline. And um, I think, I don't even know, a couple players didn't show up. And so I was an outside shooter that game. I was a three-point shooter. I played the three position and had made some shots. So then after the game that day, Joe, Coach Joe was took me out back and he was just like, hey, we're interested in you. So it wasn't until the very, very end. And it just happened to be luck that some girls didn't show up for my AAU team. Um, other than that, I was being recruited by, you know, Delaware, St. Joe's, American, Drexel. So local schools. What was it about Villanova that you loved you know, even from the outside. And what was it that made you want to be a Wildcat? Well, like I said, my parents grew up in Delco. So I was very familiar. I think I've been sporting Villanova sweatshirts of my dad's since I was in like middle school, wearing them all around. I loved the school. I loved the campus. When I went um, for my recruiting trip, I liked the girls. They were really nice and great. And it just seemed like a good fit for me. Yeah. I mean, I guess one would think I wouldn't go to Villanova though, because Harry told me that I would never play. But 
I don't know. I kind of looked at it like a challenge too. Like the other schools that were recruiting me were telling me that I would, you know, get a lot of playing time, perhaps even start as like a freshman kind of a thing. And Harry just kind of said the opposite. And it was almost like, a, I kind of want to prove him wrong. I want to get in there and show him that I can do this kind of a thing. So yeah, I don't know. I just, Villanova just always stuck out to me. So Harry Peretta, who was the longtime Villanova head coach, was there somebody blocking you? Like as far as what you did well, they had somebody that was like a sophomore or was it just he thought you were good, but just maybe not quite good enough to to get consistent minutes? I think all of the above. I think there is, you know, Trish was coming in. She's obviously an outstanding player and there's girls above me that were good. And I just think that maybe my game hadn't evolved to a point where he thought that I would be able to play. And, you know, the level of basketball was a lot more than I had been playing, like a lot more talented. So, I mean, and it was hard for me. It was a hard adjustment for me coming in as a freshman, especially with the offense, with the the amount of plays that we had. It was just, I wasn't used to that. I was used to just playing. And um, yeah, so I guess maybe he he had all that in mind and just said, but I've also heard he's told this to other people. So I wasn't the only one <laughs> that he said it to. I think he said it to Courtney Mix too. So yeah, I don't know. I guess it was just more of a, a feeling he had. <laughs> That I wasn't going to play. But also, uh, knowing Harry a little bit, maybe a way to light a little bit of a fire in perhaps, a young player. Perhaps. Yeah, he's a very smart coach, obviously. So he has his his methods and his ways. So you talked about the transition being tough and, you know, things were different as far as play, stuff like that. And you were used to just playing. And all those other schools that looked at you, that told you, listen, you'll come, you could come right in. You could play a lot. Were there pings of regret that freshman year that maybe you made a mistake? No, not at all. I was, you know, it was rough. Like I said, you know, Harry's a very intense coach and there was a lot of yelling and (laughs) um, mistakes were made. So I got a lot of trouble. So it was tough. It it was, I would say until my sophomore year, it was very, very difficult. There was a lot of, you know, I didn't feel confident. So there was, but there was never any regret that I chose Villanova over the other schools. I was so happy with my choice. I thought it was the best fit for me, but it was tough. It was was an obstacle I had to overcome. There were a lot of tears shed (laughs) those first two years. And then my sophomore year, Harry and I finally sat down and said, you know, we need to work on our relationship here because, you know, his intense screaming wasn't really, wasn't affect, wasn't affecting me, I guess, in the way he had hoped. I think it was putting me in a worse situation. I don't know. Like I was in my head a lot. And um, Mm -hmm. at that moment, it was like all we needed to have happen. And then it was a much better progression after that. It was, we communicated a lot better after that. Do you remember the first time? where you felt really comfortable playing college basketball, like where it was flowing, it was clicking, you were doing it, you were getting results. Like, is was there almost an aha moment that, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a game, a practice or anything like that? Not that I can recall. I think it was just a slow progression. And then it was just kind of like, now we're in a rhythm. And I would say it happened my sophomore year. At the end of my sophomore year, I think after that conversation, that's when it started to, I feel felt comfortable and confident a little bit, you know, because I feel like my confidence had been lacking. How much did it help? You mentioned you played AAU with Trish Juline, veteran of this podcast. How much did it help having her along with you because you weren't just a freshman going to a new team and everybody's new. How important was that for you? So funny enough, Trish and I were on the same AAU team together for a year, but I was a very shy person and did not talk. And Trish, 
as I'm sure you've met, you know, she's a very outgoing person. She's hilarious and very, you know, she draws a crowd. And so even though we were on an AE team together for a full year, we never talked. Like I just was, you know, she had her O'Hara girls that they, she was friends with and they were all awesome. I love them. And they, you know, they were a unit and I just was being my turtle mute self. <laughs> so even though I knew Trish, we didn't know each other really. And so it was actually funny when I decided to go to Villanova, she had already committed. I mean, I think she had committed since she was in like fourth grade. <laughs> um, she really wanted to go to Villanova. So I remember we had an AOL chat conversation where it was Old like school. Old school, totally dialed up. We like, you know, opened the door, but we chatted with each other. And we was like, I was like, hey, do you want to be my roommate? And she was like, oh man, this girl's so quiet. And I was like, wow, this girl's so outgoing. But literally it took us an hour after meeting each other in the dorm room, freshman, you know, move-in day. And we were inseparable. And, you know, she had me hysterically laughing. She brought me out of my shell a lot. And um, it helped a lot during those years where I was struggling because, you know, she was very successful and she was doing so great. And she's just an optimistic, positive person. And so she was giving me lots of confidence, lots of support. We roomed together every year. We had every class together, basically. So it was great. It was like having a sister and someone who can support you and, you know, get your confidence up in all the right ways. That's what Trish is. She's like your hype girl. <laughs> Do you think it your Villanova arc would be the same without her? No, absolutely not. Yeah, no, she, I mean, in so many ways, you know, that's just not basketball. So it would have been a completely different experience without her. We need to take a break. We will have more with former Villanova University women's basketball star Katie Davis-Tantino right after this. This is one-on-one. -on -one. And we are back on one-on-one. -on -one. Our guest this week is former Villanova University women's basketball star Katie Davis-Tantino. So your basketball career is highlighted at the top of the list with 2003. You guys snap UConn's 70 game winning streak you own the world for a couple days because real it was the type of event that even you know it was probably on local news in Anchorage Alaska and in Billings Montana it was that type of earth shattering event when it comes to like basketball memories is that the top for you or are there other things and I don't mean friendships I don't mean like on the bus I mean on the court basketball is that the greatest memory for you absolutely that was just an unreal unexpected like to this day you're like did that really happen kind of a thing and um yeah it was just magical that was just an amazing game definitely by far like my greatest sports moment for me so let's dig into it. It was March 11th, 2003, Big East title game, Piscataway, New Jersey. Uh, as I mentioned, they'd won 70 in a row. You guys were really good your senior year. I mean, because it's UConn's UConn, everything is kind of framed in this David versus Goliath thing. But you were not a 500 team that just caught fire. Like, you guys were high level. But it just shows how good they were that it, even with that, this is frame the the way it is you guys are playing well you win you get to the final UConn what is kind of the group feel like if group chats were a thing in 2003 what would you guys be saying was it kind of like why not us or was it damn they're good like I don't know how we're gonna do this like where where was the vibe on the group yeah no we never thought we were gonna win <laughs> not for one second 
UConn was UConn. I mean, they were just elite. They were doing this to everybody. So there was not a a chance in hell, excuse my language, that we were going to be able to do this. For us, we were just kind of really happy to be in that game, to be in a position where we had been successful for the season. And now we're facing off against UConn. It was kind of like, ugh. This is unfortunate. Like, you know, that we're going against the Big East. It's going to be on, or UConn in the Big East Championship. It's going to be on TV and we're going to get smoked. Like, that sucks. <laughs> kind of a thing. So going into the game, there was a lot of just, we're happy to be here kind of a thing. And I hate to say that because you don't want to have that type of mentality. Um, you want a winner's mentality, but that's the way it was. It was UConn. You know, it was Diane Shirasi. It was a really good team. Dino Ariema. So we never expected to win that game. So the game starts and like mentally, emotionally, were there points where you looked up and you're kind of like, I thought we'd be down 35 to 10 right now. And it's 12, eight, like, you know, just talking about the, the, the way you guys were thinking about it going in, you kind of looked around and was there's this slow recognition that, wait a minute, we've got a chance here. They can't buy one from three and we keep getting stops and this, you know, was there, was there? I mean, in the back of your mind, it's still UConn. It's still like, okay, like this has been fun. I <laughs> can't wait for the, like the shoe to drop or whatever. Going into halftime when we were winning, that was kind of, uh, wait, what? Like we're actually winning at halftime. Usually this, they would have already come back by now. So that was kind of a, okay, maybe a little bit, but still you think, Second half, that's when they, you know, get their act together and then they're going to re regroup and be like, what were we just doing? Let's get this back together. And then it's going to be all over for us. So I don't think until the buzzer went off, did we really think that it was a possibility? I do. This is funny. I do remember though, there was one thing before the game that happened to me, you know, the biggest teams that were getting ready to run out for warmups and Trish takes one side one way dribbling and I go the other way. And I remember running out onto the court and the Villanova band starts playing the fight song and I got the chills and that never happened. Like I never, you know, you hear that song a hundred times and I got the chills. And I remember thinking like, Whoa, that was weird. Like that was kind of a weird feeling right now. I wonder what that's about because we're playing Yukon. So it can't mean anything other than, I don't know what it could have meant, but we're not going to get blown out perhaps. And yeah, I mean, like I said, we were not expecting to win. So I feel like we had this carefree attitude where we have nothing to lose. So let's just go all out there. The only thing we have to lose is maybe our dignity if we get blown out by 60. <laughs> so in the locker room before the game, we're playing like hangman. We're, you know, trying to see if our 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 thing was if we were gonna have good a good game or not, was if Trish had a perky pony. <laughs> It's so embarrassing to say, but it was true. We would do a slow clap for Trisha's ponytail to see if it was perky. If it was perky, then we were going to have a good game. And it was perky that game. So, yeah, no, we were, uh, like I said, not really thinking we were going to win until the buzzer went off. That being said, you say you're winning at halftime. As the game's going on, do you start to notice a change in UConn? Because I'm sure for them, everything you said, I'm sure they would never say it publicly, but they probably... You know, this is just 40 minutes to get to the buzzer, get to the cutting down the nets and, you know, we're going to take care of business. Did you start to notice they started to get frustrated? Did you start to notice body language you'd never seen before from UConn? And did it help kind of the, well, wait a minute, they're just, they're not a machine. They're just, 
you know, kids like us. I do remember them starting to get frustrated with each other and yell at each other a little bit. And, you know, that kind of fighting kind of been like, all right, this is fun. Like we're kind of like annoying them right now. <laughs> like, you know, our style of play is slow the ball down, utilize every second of the shot clock. And that's like not how they play. So I think that was part of the frustration. So it was just like, all right, well, let's keep doing that. And they're going to keep fighting a little bit and kind of keep getting annoyed. So that was kind of fun. It was kind of fun to see UConn frazzled a little bit for a second. What was Harry Peretta like? What's he telling you before the game, halftime, and as the second half's going on? Does anything stand out that he, any messages he gave to you, gave to the group during any part of the game? Harry's messages were, you know... Harry was always the pessimist when it came to, you know, to the, you're not going to win. Just, you gotta, I don't know how to put this in a, in a good way. Cause he meant, well, it was just a, we're, we're going to lose kind of a thing. Like you're going to lose, but here's what you can do to not lose by a lot in that game. Other games, it was different, but this one, you know, in, in other games, you just like, it doesn't matter who you're playing. You're still, you could still lose. So that was still the case with this. I don't think he would ever thought we could win. <laughs> or if he did, he would never tell us. There's nothing that really stands out in my mind about what he said in the locker room that I can recall. I just remember the end and him crying <laughs> and being almost in as much shock as we were. And I tackled him after the game, <laughs> after the buzzer went off. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't remember. Honestly, I, I, I think that all of his speeches were very similar, more tactical X's and O's to the point, not anything like you guys can do this if you, if you want it kind of thing. It was not like that. It was more like they're more athletic than you. So if you want to be able to stay in the game, we're going to have to execute kind of a thing. There was no fluff. Was there anybody, any of your teammates, anybody on the floor that started to really buy in that? holy crap, we can do this. Let's, let's go. Like did there, or was everybody kind of like waiting for the avalanche and we're, let's just get through another good possession and you know, whatever. Did anybody start to really believe before anybody else? See, in my mind, I feel like we were all, it was kind of like when, when pitchers throw a no hitter, like you don't want to talk about it. So it was kind of like, let's just keep going. Let's just keep doing what we're doing and we won't acknowledge anything. <laughs> Let's not talk about it. We're not talking about winning. We're not talking about losing. We're just talking about that next possession. The one thing that I do remember very, very vividly is looking into the stands and seeing our friends and family, like my parents, all the, all the parents of the team being like, like we're in this, like you guys can do this. I do remember that. But as far as the team on the court, I think we were just very focused on the task at hand, the next play, the next possession. So the buzzer goes off. You mentioned you tackle Harry. Obviously everybody is, is thrilled, but how long did it take you to appreciate what you had done past just winning the Big East title and snapping UConn's winning streak? Like, that you were a part of a thing, the type of victory that movies are made about. And I'm not exaggerating like this type of incredible story. I can't imagine all that comes flowing at once, especially when you're got the NCAA tournament coming. But like, are we talking months? Are we talking years that you had that recognition kind of wash over you? I think it took some time. I don't know exactly the amount of time, but I do, you know, definitely after the season, because you're still, the hype of that week 
after we beat them was just unreal on like something we had never imagined, but it felt surreal. I don't think it really sunk in until I don't know. Sometimes I even think like now, like when I sit here and I look back and I'm like, wow, that was like really, really unique and special. I don't know. I don't know how to answer that because I think it hit me in different ways at different points in life. Cause it was just kind of like, now I'm looking at it as like, you know, a mom and being like, wow, that was really cool. And I can't imagine one of my kids going through something like that. Like that was really cool. When I played overseas for a little bit, I think it was just kind of like, even people over there would know about it and be like, yeah, I was part of that. Like I was part of that team and they like knew about that experience. So I would say, you know, it hit differently at different points in life. So you mentioned, because another great thing about that is you guys win it. You talk about what that, you know, how crazy that is afterwards. And you had like two and a half weeks before the NCAA tournament started because I guess the, the women's tournament was before the men, the week before the men's tournament. And then you've got the week of prep for the NCAA tournament. So you guys get this. You couldn't have picked a better time to to do this just from a pure being able to really bask in it. What was the craziest thing you remember from the post victory time, whether it's, you know, post game or a crazy interview request or so, you got, you know, somebody came up to you that you never thought would come up to you and knew who you were. Was there anything that really jumps out? There is. I mean, there's a lot of things. I have so many I could say. I mean, we just even from simple thing like the bus ride home, like we were just on another planet calling all of our friends and family. They were calling us. And, you know, it was, it was just a really cool memory that I have that bus ride home, getting back and being greeted by people off the bus. Um, I mean, that never happened. So that was awesome. But then that following week, you know, we had, yeah, we had interviews, we had re- like things that we are not used to things that we were not doing before this. Um, like Trish and I think we went on the Lou Tilly show and that was a funny experience for us because, you know, we're getting our hair and makeup done. We're just like, this is just funny. I remember being in the pavilion and Courtney and I did uh, an interview with her dad, Steve Mix on I don't know what it was for or what it was. I don't even know if we ever saw it because the two of us were just so embarrassed <laughs> because the two of us together and inter- doing an interview is just not a good combination. And we couldn't see anything. I just remember the camera facing us. There was no, we couldn't see him. We had him in our ear and it was just very silly. We had no idea how we were coming across. But yeah, there was a lot of interviews that week and a lot of just hype that is was out of our norm. So that was all fun and exciting. I am curious from an emotional standpoint. I talk about you had the two, two and a half weeks for the NCAA tournament. It's the NCAA tournament, but you guys have just gone through a real unicorn experience that feels feel. I mean, you won a championship, but I don't know that that you probably be hard pressed to find a national championship that doesn't match up with what you guys were able to experience. Hard to start up the mountain again and basically start from ground zero and get excited to no disrespect, but to play St. Francis in the first round of the NCAA tournament, was it tough? Do you remember there, it being a emotional challenge to get going? I don't think it was an emotional challenge to get going. I think we were still very excited to play. Like we were excited to get back on the court. We had just done this fun thing. We're still like reliving it, but moving past it in a way, but with more confidence. But again, we have Harry Peretta to 
humble us. And not saying that we weren't already humble. We were very humble. So I would say mentally, we thought we were fine until that game started. And we just were terrible. Like we started off that game so bad. And we were like, it was kind of one of those things is we can't come off this high, high and have this low, low and our season. So maybe we didn't realize it as much. Like we, uh, you know, being young and never having experienced something like that big of a win before we thought we were fine, but clearly we weren't because we started off that next game really poorly. Did you think you'd be okay eventually? Or were there moments of, oh my God, I can't believe we're going to follow up UConn and we might lose to St. Francis in the first round? No, I don't think we panicked, but there was definitely like when you're down by I don't even know how much to St. Francis. And you're just like, wow, this is the first round. We need to get our act together. So let's just regroup here. I mean, I guess it's in the back of your mind. It's a possibility. We could lose to anybody as we were reminded many times. So yeah, we just had to focus on getting our act together. And, and, and we did. And you did, you beat St. Francis. And I think it was George Washington. You beat Colorado. And eventually in the elite eight, you lose to Tennessee. And once again, like that's an incredible magical ride to the elite eight, but did anything during that match, the, what you felt, anything close to what you felt to beating UConn in the Big East title game? I feel like, I mean, the Big East, I mean, the NCAA tournament, it's all fun. You know, it's like, it's, it's a different kind of fun. It does. Obviously you're not going to get that feeling again of winning a championship, but it's all a really cool experience. I mean, we got to go to um, Pat Summit's house because Harry and Pat Summit were friends. So we met her before we played them, which was a little odd, but um, that was a cool experience. You know, she's a legend and we were very honored for that experience. So it was all like still in that magical kind of run that we were having. We all felt like it was a part of it, a part of the the win, the, the Big East Championship and, um, you know, just the experience. The expectation of winning the national championship was very low. <laughs> so we were just, again, enjoying the moment and enjoying the ride as far as it took us and just trying our hardest, knowing that it was, you know, near the end of our season. To that point, you guys do fall to Tennessee. Do you remember the moment of recognition that your college career is over? And what was that like? I feel like I could cry right now thinking about it. I was an emotional wreck. I was very, very sad. And it was heartbreaking. It's just you have spent four years at this university you've been spending your life playing this game and it's all coming to an end and it's you're with a group of girls that you truly love and love playing with and it's just it's a sad realization that it's going to be all over so I do remember I even actually have a picture of it (laughs) that me sitting on the bench just like sobbing my eyes and I think in the post-game press conference I couldn't put a word together because I was just so sad and happy for the experience and happy for all of it, knowing that, you know, it was going to end in the next couple of games, but it wouldn't have mattered at what point. I feel like even if we won a national championship, I feel like I still would have felt like that feeling of, oh, it's all over kind of a thing. That was a rough time for me. I was very sad that it all, I loved my time at Villanova so much. And it was just in all aspects of it the basketball, the university, school, the friends, the traveling with my family all over the country because they would make it to every single game. You know, my parents didn't miss. I think they missed maybe one game. And, you know, all my aunts and uncles and cousins coming to all of my home games. It was just a really, truly magical experience. And it was just sad that it was all ending. Need to take another break. We will have more with Katie Davis Tantino right after this. This is one-on-one. 
And we are back on one-on-one, continuing our conversation with former Villanova University women's basketball star Katie Davis Tantino. So we obviously have established UConn, your number one basketball memory. What would you say is number two? Once again, just purely basketball. Is there another game, another moment that you would put as a strong number two from your college career? Um, I don't know. See, this is where my memory is very poor. I mean, I instantly go to like silly stuff, <laughs> like things that were funny that happened uh, where I made huge mistakes and my teammates still rip on me for to this day about. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, I mean, I just I remember one of my first games as a freshman playing Penn State and it was actually my first game and we were at Penn State. And I had a pretty unexpected, decent game. And so I would say that was a memorable one for me. But other than that, I don't know. I just feel like those runs in the in the tournament, they were always, you know, those games like Colorado was a fun game and then like a dicey game for us. And I feel like we beat Colorado in, a, in another game. <laughs> Again, my memory's so bad. But for like a Thanksgiving tournament the year before, that was a fun, exciting game. But I don't know. I can't I can't think of one. I just feel like I have so many. So you mentioned going overseas after your college career. Was that always something like once college was done and you kind of processed everything, you started to focus? Did you always feel like that was going to be something you pursued or did an opportunity kind of present itself? How did it come to be and where did you go? Um, no, it's not something that I thought I would do. Honestly, it was never even on my radar. It was always just deal with college while I'm in college. And I never really thought that far in advance. I would say afterwards, you know, I was, like I said, I was pretty heartbroken and I was sad about what do I do now? This has been my whole life with basketball. So I got an agent and then an opportunity kind of just presented itself, like you said, and I ended up going to Luxembourg to play. I played for two years and it was a lot of fun. It was, um, we had a, a successful team. They have a championship and a cup tournament each year. And so the first year we won both of those. And then the next year we won one of them. I broke my foot at the end of the season. And so I didn't, I didn't very play very well in the end. I missed a bunch of games, but it was a tremendous experience. I had never been to Europe before and, you know, I made lifelong friends and some that I consider family. A couple of them were in my wedding. So it was just a wonderful experience. And um, I loved my time in Luxembourg. A couple of girls from Villanova have gone and played over there on that same team, actually. So Alex Lewin played there. Bridget Herlihy played over there. So um, I think Amy Mallon played on, not on the team that I played on, but she played in that league as well on another team. How was the, you know, getting parachuting into the middle of Europe, you know, kind of, ta-da, here I am, let's play basketball. Was it, it sounds like the basketball went fine and you had a great time, but at first, you know, was it overwhelming? It was overwhelming. It was um, I, like I'm very much a homebody too, so it was very tough. I was very homesick in the beginning, but like I said, I found a like a, there was a they found me. I should say there was a family over there, and a man. Uh, this guy Jean Lou was the manager, and he basically they adopted me as like a, a as part of their family, and um, they took very good care of me, and they reassured my mom that I was safe because that was a major concern for her, and also. There was a girl, Danny Weiss, she was an exchange student over here and she lived next door to Harry Peretta. So she was heading back over there 
at the same time I was heading. So we flew over together. So I kind of feel like I had a friend in that, even though we just met each other, but I had someone that was, you know, she knew the language. She could help me out, navigate everything. It was an adjustment period once I got there, but it didn't take very long because they're tremendous people. And it was just a very easy fit. I'd say after that, what was your favorite non-basketball part of living there? Was it food, scenery, kind of the people overall, like you had to kind of take one thing away from your experience in Luxembourg, basketball aside, what would it be? I would say the people, they're just fabulous. They, they treated me so nicely. They welcomed me with open arms. Um, I was fortunate enough to be able to travel around a little bit as well. So some of the girls would come with me, you know, I got to go to different cities, Barcelona, Milan, like, you know, it was just fun. It was just a nice little experience. The basketball was serious, but it wasn't as serious. So it allowed me time to travel and do other things. I actually did a little bit. I, I, I worked at an international school as a substitute teacher occasionally. And that was really cool. It was really cute. So, I mean, I only did it a couple of times, but it was fun. I just loved it. I loved immersing myself over there and the people and the city is absolutely beautiful. And one special thing, actually, my grandfather was over there for when he served. So he had pictures of Luxembourg city And I would look for the same spot with the pictures he had given me and send them back to him. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, there's just so much. I have such fond memories of Luxembourg and people and, you know, I've got great friends that I still am in contact with to to this day. You mentioned the foot injury, the end of your second year. Was that kind of the end of your playing career? Yes, that was a major factor in it. It also like I had only planned to go for one year. The second year was kind of a bonus. Um, we, cause we were, we had been so successful and they, you know, asked me to come back and I was like, Oh, why not? So yes, I, I, that was a major factor. I also had a very sick aunt at the time and I came back for her as well. So, but it, yeah, that was it. It sounds like it was a very comfortable decision and it's not for a lot of people when their playing days are over where you just kind of, Hey, probably got more out of this than I thought and nothing but positive memories and let's close that window or for a year or two, did you still have kind of pings and curiosity to maybe call the agent and say, Hey, what's going on out there? You know? No, I was pretty, um, I was pretty set that it was time for me to be done. I loved basketball, but there was no opportunity opportunity for me to play here. If that was a thing, then I would have probably pursued it. But I missed being home. I missed my family and my friends and it ran its course, I think. But I mean, I shouldn't say it ran its course. I I still, even to this day, I have dreams that I go back and I play, (laughs) but it's, it it was time. It just felt like the time was right to move on and to try something different. Do you ever take a step back and you talked about like how shy you were and quiet you were that this shy, quiet young girl from Cecil County, Maryland has had the ride you had through basketball, not just collegiate success, but a once in a generation type of moment and the ability to travel and play at a high level. Like it's pretty impressive. I feel very fortunate. I feel very fortunate that I've had the experience that I've had. And a lot of that has to do with my parents and my family. And I've had a lot of support and it's just, it is, I mean, even with, I would say that those moments hit harder now and I, maybe it's because I'm older and I'm nostal- nostalgic a little bit. You sit back and you're like, wow, this was this has been a really fun ride. And I've been so far removed for it for so long for something like the Big Five Hall of Fame to come back. And even the Villanova Hall of Fame, it kind of brought back those memories. And it's just like, it's 
it's very, I don't know. It almost sometimes makes me want to like tear up a little bit because it's just, and I, and the, the moments were so special and, when I was done playing, I kind of just moved on, you know, you don't really think about it. You don't take a second to like every now and then get reminded like, Oh, let's think about all your stuff, all your successes. It doesn't really happen. And so this big five has been that for me. And the Villanova hall theme was that for me as well. It's just kind of takes a second. And you think about it and you're like, wow, this is, it was a great ride. It was really, really fun. And I was so fortunate to have so many amazing teammates and that have become tremendous friends because of it. So I feel very, very lucky that I've had these experiences. Katie Davis Tantino, thanks so much for taking the time. This was great. Thank you so much for having me, Matt. And that will do it for this week's episode. Want to thank former Villanova University women's basketball star Katie Davis Tantino for being our guest this week. Now, if you like the show and you want to help us out, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and a review. You can follow the show on Twitter at one on one pod. You can follow me on Twitter as well at Matt Leon 1060. Thanks so much for listening and be sure to check us out again next week when we bring you another conversation with someone you should know more about.